You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and I, Niels Kastrolasen, are delighted to be back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series. And as usual, we're going to discuss last week's events in the world of rule-based investing and take some of your questions. Good morning, Jerry. Good afternoon to you, Moritz. How are you guys? Hi, Niels. Fine. Great. Good, good. Sounds like it's a lot of energy in the uh, in the air today. Um, interesting week again, in in my opinion. Although it was, of course, shortened um, by the holiday and uh, Black Friday and and all of those things and uh, over Thanksgiving. Um, but certainly, I th- I thought that there was um, quite a few moves still in the markets, um, and that this general maybe level of volatility continues to be uh, elevated uh, almost like it used to be um, back in the day before we had QE and QT and all of those things. So um, let me uh, just jump into it and ask uh, how you saw the week, what you noticed, what drives uh, returns at the moment, etc., uh, etc. Et um, how about you, Morris? How was, um, what did you notice this week? More of the energies. Um, first of all, yes, you're right. I think ever since Red October, as we coined it, volatility mm-hmm. is back and it's uh, continuing higher. So we we no longer have those quiet days, at least in the past couple of days, where just you know, barely things moved. Um, there are larger moves now, which which I don't mind. Yeah. Um, now I think this week, this past week, has all been uh, been about uh, the oil markets. I mean, those moves down. In WTI, they have been really large. I think we had two days where it's uh, more than minus five or minus six percent. So really large moves, um, which of course you know has been a, a PL driver. Um, we haven't seen that much movement on natural gas this past week. I think um, you know it had that large breakout to the upside a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think we all make money from that, but gave back a little. Um, in terms of the energies. I have a balanced portfolio there of longs and shorts, so didn't really uh, contribute a lot to the PL. Uh, same goes for the bonds, some some shorts, some longs, so mixed bag here too. And not that much movement on, on the currencies um, in the last couple of days, so that has been relatively flat also. Um, so looking back, if you sum it all up, energies, energies and energies. <laughs> Okay, good stuff. Uh, well, certainly on our side, um, we we did see some moves in energies. Um, probably, you know, to some degree less than what we've seen in the past. Positions have been shrunk a lot, but um, overall, I think probably flattish performance-wise. But unleaded gas and natural gas did well, and then small losses in the other uh, part of the complex. Commodities did well for us this week, as did softs. Um, some of the fixed income markets in Europe did okay um, and not so in the US. So we still got mixed exposure and therefore mixed performance, probably flat in fixed income for the week. Probably a bit up in equities overall, but it's driven by you know shorts in Europe um, for the main uh, part and then still a little bit long the US, which obviously trimmed um, overall profits in, in, in equities. But um, at least we're 
at least we made some money as equities were heading south. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we had a good week in currencies with the strength of the dollar. Weakness in particular in the euro did, um, yeah, did well for us. Um, but but I agree, the headlines, uh, when you look at the screens, are definitely um, concentrated around uh, the, the energy sector. Um, so... So that was, yeah, that's what we saw. Didn't see any major trend changes per se, uh, I would say. So nothing nothing new to report on that side. How about you, Jerry? Well, I concur with all of that. I'll try to think of something a little different to say. Um, single stocks, anything you single saw? Single stocks are yeah. small, net long, and the stock in the single stocks, mm-hmm. still the McDonald's, Coke, Pepsi, staples like that are made new breakouts a few weeks ago and yeah. they're still long. Coke so, made a new 50 week high just a few days ago, I think actually. So yeah, so that's keeping us a little long, uh, net long stocks. And I think the high volatility in some of the markets, uh, of course, will cause us more or less to trade smaller. So I think these uh, energy shorts uh, are not as good as I would hope because the Fall kicked up almost, you know, before we got short. So that is going to make our position smaller and yeah. limit um, the, the potential for those trades. Unfortunately, possibly, you know, I was short. Uh, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, I was short uh, crude in 1986, and it went to ten dollars. So never say, never predict how far a market can go. That's that, a that's very that's true. A very big rule. Dollar yeah. strength is good. I'm very. Um, I think the my big comment would be how crazy it seems to look at my portfolio, which admittedly is more long stocks probably than since I trade the individual stocks and not as long uh, European bonds yeah. because uh, as they approach zero or go through zero, zero, I'm not going to be long those markets. But <clears throat> it's just the number of shorts compared to the longs. And this is never mm. going to be a good formula for trend following when the when all we can really talk about is our short commodities and uh, short currencies. Uh, so my biggest longs would be something like, uh, you know, the few, the few stocks and um, yeah. net, net gas, maybe a couple of other markets that one could define as in an uptrend, but it's not, this performance is not going to get going the way we want it to until we have uh, two to one longs rather than, I have now two to one shorts. Sure. I think that's actually an interesting point. I mean, I think you make, a, I think it's a good point. I think it's a lot, uh, it's something that maybe investors don't quite appreciate as much that generally speaking, performance for us trend followers are better for the long trades than they are for the short trades, even though people often associate our strategy with something that can make money on the short side in equities when they need it. Um, but uh, I, th- I think that's a great point. And not to discourage investors because we don't really know. I mean, that's obviously the the mantra that we live by. Um, so it could still turn out to be, um, you know, some positive performance uh, coming out of these positions. But overall, um, in the long run, um, we, we do tend to make more money on the long side. That's, yeah. You mentioned natural gas. There are a few headlines in the uh, in the news uh, about natural gas. We're now starting to see some of the, um, the victims of recent uh, volatility. Um, what did you, what did you guys pick up during the week? I think we talked uh, maybe last week about there is such a thing as a short, double short 
Nat Gas ETF or ETN. Okay. And then that's not fun. And uh, then this week here in Florida, where I live in Tampa, there was an article about a short uh, a fund that sells options in, and they were selling options in natural gas and it blew up and lost all the money. And I think it was mostly managed accounts. So people lost an, another 20%, I think, Oh, according to okay. the news. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, kind of a, I tweeted that three or four times. It got a lot of interest because it's sort of the opposite of what we do. He's the victim was on, uh, I mean, the guy who, the manager was uh, posted a pitiful, easy to make fun of video on YouTube and people were making fun of it. And I sort of uh, jumped on the bandwagon, but only in the sense that um, I was trying to make the point of how trend following is sort of the opposite of taking small we take small losses and have unlimited upside versus the smooth, high sharp ratio performance of selling an option. And it just always works. Um, it just makes money all the time until you know, it doesn't or until you lose all of your money. And at least that's what, we, that's what I keep hearing since I've never done it or known anybody who does it. But it, did, uh, it was another way for us trend followers who are suffering through a, a bad period to sort of feel superior and uh, make fun of others, uh, but to learn a lesson too, that uh, maybe it's safer to trade uh, a systematic approach with low odds of winning, low sharp ratio, uh, just take our small losses and continue to play for out positive outlier trends. Yeah, I mean, it's the classical thing we've discussed a few times, right? And, uh, you know, investors tend to prefer what, what is smooth and look safe, but uh, I think we certainly all believe that that's uh, that safety is uh, not always what it seems like and 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 um, as you say we prefer to take the the uh, the opposite uh, of that but i do think you bring up another interesting point which um, investors should be aware of as well and that is the unlimited liability you you have if you set up a managed account um, so so i mean do be careful uh, if you go into any investment strategy by a managed account um, because these are the times they may not happen that often, but when they do happen, it could be a very painful experience. The advantage, of course, uh, to go in, in a fund is that, okay, maybe you don't have as much transparency, although many managers nowadays will pro you know, provide that even if it's a fund investment, but you do have the limited liability. Of course, you pay a little bit for it, but you have a limited liability and, and that is um, that is crucial when these things um, happen. So two, two kind of volatility blow-ups. Uh, I mean, in February was the VIX itself. Now we've got another market that just explodes in terms of volatility. I mean, it's certainly been um, the year where, where volatility has come back in, in some way. Yes, absolutely. And natural gas is that way. I mean, just by trading that for many years, um, I mean, it's been quiet, relatively quiet in the past couple of years, but it's just the character of natural gas that every once in a while it just uh, you know becomes completely wild. If you're short options against that, um, well, you need to hang in there or give, yeah. give up. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I really like I I read the article uh, as well, and I was looking to get onto the website, which was I think taken down immediately, uh, optionsellers.com, um, because I saw a tweet from Nassim Taleb who said. It's actually funny that the guy made reference to the black swan saying it's a good idea to sell risks in the tail 
Um, so, you know, just to flip, kind of like flip the coin and made it sound, apparently made it sound as if uh, Nassim Taleb had said in his book that that's the right thing to do. Right. But, you know, again, you know, selling those options, um, selling convexity, selling volatility, that is a very, very risky investment strategy. It's an investment strategy that produces smooth returns for a period of time. Uh, has many more winners than losers. It's kind of like that makes you feel good strategy, but it does have that risk of just failing in in one sweep go. Like there's one day or two days, as it was the case with with that firm, and then you're out of business, or even you know owe the the clearing broker uh, more money than you put in initially. So it's just I think we need to repeat those words um, when those type of strategies are offered. I'm, I'm not saying that people must never invest in those. I mean, by all means, people should, I think, invest what they think is good for them. But that that risk, always have that at the back of your head. It is substantial, even though it doesn't show up in the numbers. Yeah. So I <clears throat> tried to make a very extreme point on this, of course. That's what I do. I take something and try to twist it uh, to meet my philosophy. And um, so that's why I wrote, it's safer to trade with low odds and a low sharp. So it can, how can this be? And uh, it reminds me of another tweet I had or an article I read a few weeks ago where uh, Cliff Astis, I believe, was making fun of somebody who had a three sharp ratio. And so then my point was, well, that's it's obviously you can make fun of a three, but I'm, I'm wondering, should we make fun of a one? Uh, <clears throat> because what's the difference? Are we just, uh, you know... Uh, or if there is a big difference, let's hear it. And I'm going to make fun of both, a three and a one, and I'm going to prefer the low odds and the low sharp. And then in this situation, you can definitely see, okay, I see what you're saying now. Uh, and natural gas, uh, from our point of view, is a prime example. Once we buy that uh, a month ago and we size it properly, now it explodes into this profitable trade. And um, we're making money, the opposite um, of this option seller, and um, it's highly volatile. So this sort of micro sharp in this particular investment is going to be low. You know, it goes up, it goes crazy, it sells off, but we're golden because we have uh, a reasonably sized position. We have the right position. We have a lot of built-in profit. So I say, forget it. You know, uh, okay. So maybe you want to take a little bit off the table. That's fine, but still. Is it going to be a high sharp trade? And um, probably not. It's the nature of hanging in there and waiting for it to become something even bigger and better, which we've done all of our trading career and, and that we've seen to be very successful, but it's not good at sharp. And so I think that as time wears on and we forget about the option seller and and uh, this idea that as I start evaluating my systems over the next six months or 12 months, I'm, I'm, I know that I'll say to my, one of my research guys, well, what's the sharp on this and blah, blah, blah. I'll get sucked right back into, well, you know, I don't believe in sharp, but I'm going to talk sure. about it. Uh, I don't, is there anything better? Um, but it's, I, I definitely think that turn your back on uh, vol as long as the trade or your trading, your trading is profitable is a much better strategy than a sort of, buying into uh, the volatility of, of big profits is somehow a negative. And I think another 
thing that the net gas trade has shown us, and I know that there's always this debate every time equities fall, we get blamed for being the ones pushing it down. Although they never blame us for pushing equities up, funnily enough. But but um, but in this case, you, you, the three of us were talking about this breakout in net gas a long time ago, weeks before it happened. So we were all positioned way before the volatility came in. So if we're some kind of proxy for the trend-following industry, then this had nothing to do with trend followers. And I think that more often than not, a lot of these big market moves has nothing to do with trend followers. I mean, we tend, we don't create the trends. We just get into them and, and often we get into them, you know, before the, the really big uh, moves occur. Um, not always, but but I, I think that's just another thing that I just wanted to put on the record that, uh, you know, people shouldn't always blame our industry for 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 the for the bad stuff every time there's a, a bit of volatility uh, coming into a market and it is true i mean in many cases you have that undercurrent and there's things happening and developing um you know small small trends starting to display and and we get on for the right um yeah. and then it just happens so that we're already positioned the right way when the big moves come right? sure um, and look at energy. I mean, best this ferocious sell-off. I mean, it's yeah. not driven by CTAs, in my opinion. Certainly not the initial part, because that would be against our our philosophy. And uh, there seems to be a lot of other things going on in that market uh, right now. Whether it's the Saudis or the world sending a message to the Saudis, I don't know. But it seems uh, highly uh, interesting timing uh, given uh, recent uh, events uh, in that region. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. One more point about the Sharpe ratio. I'm not sure about how uh, you guys actually think about that. But, you know, many years back, it, it I had the feeling it's kind of like that bragging contest of, you know, I have a one Sharpe, I have a 1.5 Sharpe. And if you didn't have a greater than one Sharpe, you weren't allowed to be around the table because you're kind of like bad trader. And, you know, who wants to have something that is less than one Sharpe? And, you know, speaking to clients, they were looking for and asking, you know, is your Sharpe greater than one? And if you couldn't answer that with a yes, you were kind of like, well, you know, boring type of strategy. And then, you know, I, I kind of like, it, it's that trap where you get in and you go like, oh, I, I need to have a, uh, a good sharp, a great sharp, and hopefully it's going to be greater than one. And then, you know, in a quiet minute, when you reflect on that, you, you know, I just came to the conclusion and said, well, you know what, 0.5 sharp, I think that's good enough. If it's 0.6, it's great. Because when you think about it, it's, you know, 20 vol with 10 to 12% return. And it's kind of like, you know, the 20 vol space is where, where I'm in. 10 to 12 return um, annualized over long periods of time. That's great. That works for me. If I know that the strategy that I'm following is, is robust, keeps me in the game, doesn't cause me to lose all my chips, um, and is safe, then, then that's something that I'd like to play. And whether that's 0.5 sharp or 0.6, doesn't matter to me anymore. No, I mean, I agree. And people forget that uh, equities over the long run has a sharp of 0.4. And right now, nobody's complaining about what equity is doing. It's just a, it's just whatever time window you you look at. Exactly. Uh, I, I mean, mean they yeah. had a sharp of, uh, I think, around one or something like that. If you looked at the past five years, let's exclude sure. the last couple of months, right? But sure. uh, ever since the financial crisis, just being long-only equities passive, had had a sharp ratio that's you know been very tough to beat. 
I, I'm sure you want to add something to this, Jerry, maybe, but it's just something that, that I find funny. Uh, so we, uh, one of the things that I do when I meet with uh, investors who may not be so versed uh, or well-versed in, in trend following and what it can do for a portfolio, um, I created this um, uh, this chart that shows, uh, if you have a portfolio just of equities and bonds and trend following, what should the allocation be before the tech bubble or right at the bottom of the tech bubble. So the worst time, so to speak, in terms of a crisis and the best time to invest in equities for sure. And the same with the financial crisis, just prior to the financial crisis and just in March 09 at the bottom of the financial crisis. And I, I, I don't remember all the details, but, but what you see when you optimize for, for Sharp in this case, just to see what, what's the best portfolio with the highest Sharp had you invested at these four starting points. When you take the 08 crisis, for example, um, the allocation to trend following, uh, and in this case, we're using our own performance uh, from our program, um, but that's pretty stable. But it's very interesting to see that prior to the crisis, uh, you have you know some bonds and uh, you know some equities and then then trend following. But if you look at the highest sharp uh, as a portfolio um, at the bottom of the financial crisis, you should have had no bonds whatsoever since two thousand and nine. Yes, another great feature of trend following. It doesn't kick anything out. It uh First premise is, how are you going to help me markets uh, with my volatility and risk? Um, and, you know, it's one of the huge edges, which I mention all the time. I think it's so radical and crazy that in the systematic approach that we use, we have to assume that all the trades we do, it's right to assume that all the trades have the same expectation, the shorts, the longs. And so even when I was trashing the idea we have too many shorts on now, because that's where the trends are. You know, theoretically, I should not talk like that. They all have the same expectation as the longs. It's all, the, all the trades have the same expectation. So, um, so many great things. We'll never get to the end of how wonderful what we do is, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> That's why we do it every week. Yeah. We get a yeah. new chance every week to say it. Another thing I would add, too, is that um, exactly what you and Neil said, but plus the frequency of profits. I think uh, because we have a systematic approach, and we trade a lot of different markets, sectors, and longs and shorts, we have a tendency to be frequently more profitable uh, than not than trading one sector, uh, even stocks, or just long only. So that matters to people, whether it's 0.4, 0.6, Like I've said many times, I think when I first started in 1988, we made money 10 years in a row. And it was not always pretty, and there were some big drawdowns, and... Uh, not always great years, but l listen, 10 years in a row, not making, not losing money, that goes a long way with people in the real world who are not uh, maybe intellectually influenced by sharp or numbers, but in the real world, they're really like this idea of making money. And then you can cheat the sharp uh, more or less, uh, you know, with the take profits and profit objectives or heavy uh, lots and lots of all targeting that you can... Uh, you can artificially make the sharp look high and uh, getting out of some of your nat gas after it rallied a lot, you know, that little piece of the nat, nat gas, for instance, if you got out at the high of any of those days, the high move, um, that piece of the nat gas trade has a sharp of infinity. You, 
made profit and you got out at the high, no drawdown. So that's a nice contributor to your ultimate P&L in that gas or your ultimate P&L for the year. Um, so it's a pretend it's a pretend number sometimes, depending upon uh, if you're not always using a trend approach to your exits. Yeah, I was um, I was in London this week and um, I had to meet with a fairly uh, sizable client of ours who um, had some you know an interesting timing to to join uh, the trend following uh, space because they actually joined in in February. Um, you know, so obviously you. It's it's a tough time to make your first uh, entree in this uh, industry uh, when you when you pick uh, sort of the first out of a, a couple of really difficult months uh, um, of the year, and um, so I wasn't quite sure exactly how to frame the conversation uh, when you meet with a group like that for the first time. So I found. Um, um, so I found this uh, old chart that actually Michael Covell uses uh, with regards to Don on his website. It's a chart of our composite performance since 1974 when we started and the S&P. And uh, then we draw on all the drawdowns we've had of 25% and more. And prior to this year, we've actually had 12 of them. And this year, it's the 13th. And what I wanted to to illustrate to this particular client was that, you know, because obviously the headlines is, you know, does trend following work anymore? Is it dead, et cetera, et cetera. But when you look at a chart like that, I'm sure you would have exactly the same, Jerry, in, in, in your track record. When you look at a chart like that, this 13th drawdown of that size doesn't look any different from all the other 12. <laughs> and um, And so... Of course, once you see that, it's um, you know it's um, it's it's like you know it's like trend following. It's like a, a it's a paint it's like a painting. You need to look from twenty feet a, a, away. I mean, don't look at all these you know swings up and down, but just look at the the bigger picture, so to speak, and you'll see that the the trend of the PNL curve continues to to go uh, up uh, as as you move to the to the right, but it's certainly not in the, in a smooth way whatsoever. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, as as you said, Jerry, it's uh, it's just something that we need to continue to to discuss and, and talk about so that people uh, understand that this is part and parcel of of what we do. Um, and and get away from this uh, focus on you know the highest sharp and 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 the smoothest uh, return profile because it's it's just a, a snapshot of uh, of a time time frame. I agree. Good, Good yeah, stuff, yeah. Uh, Jerry. Um, you've done some tweeting this week. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> How did that go? Well, we uh, got into some fun topics that people enjoyed. It seemed like uh, <clears throat> my 16,500 followers are not the typical uh, traditional investors, possibly. So sure. we take joy in things that make us look smart um, in the midst of not a great period. We've already talked about the option selling and sure. that stuff. Um my most popular tweet, I think, this week was a article from Bloomberg about WorldQuant, a very oh, yeah. large, oh, yeah. think, famous hedge fund that was lost 9% in October. 
And then I just simply took advantage of a very uh, something, you know, most people would not make fun of. And then without any comment, I just started listing different um, characteristics of this firm, a thousand research consultants, um, 500 investing professionals. Uh, they, they say they have um, 120 PhDs scouring for recurring patterns, a library of 4 million alphas, soon to be 10 million. Um, then I, another quote was, soon some believe it encourages data snooping, complicated parameters to make strategy look great in the past. And so without any comment, of course, I'm making f- kind of fun of this and saying, well, I certainly don't have 120 PhDs, 4 million of anything, hundreds of employees, and my little trend following, uh, price only, even if it's stocks only, I'm, uh, which is probably what these guys were doing, long, short equities, uh, I feel pretty good about myself that I can come, I can also lose money, maybe a little bit more or less than they are with a lot less overhead and intensity. So we're all, you know, we're always looking for examples of where really smart people get, look like us. Um, and, and when we just follow the trends or we even look better, that's even a, certainly a better situation when the trend, uh, simple trend following does be, uh, better than more complicated strategies. People like that. They thought that was, I think, kind of funny. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that um, because I've certainly come across that uh, name a few times, uh, even in the past week. And, um, and of course, this is one of those um, firms that um, follows the path of, of a couple of the other really big firms in that space where they hire all these small teams of traders and they give them you know, lots of money often, but with very, very tight uh, rules for, you know, if you lose 3%, you're out kind of thing. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of small, uh, low vol strategies, and I'm sure they try and put these things together in a, you know, um, with some view on, on correlation. But but even, as you say, even those firms who, who do that to that extreme, um, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of it, um, you know, can can come up short. Um, you know, despite something that like this, I'm sure if they run ran the simulations, this shouldn't happen. You know, in a million years, but but it does. And uh, and and um, so, like I, I agree, that's an interesting topic for sure. What else did you see in the in the social media world this week, Jaron? Well, I have some uh, friends from uh, Longboard Funds, which is a oh, CTA yeah, sure. managed future CTA, and uh, they put out a really nice long piece this week. Um, and they uh, particularly liked some of the graphics and charts they put up. The One of the conclusions they come to is, quote, I simply do not feel comfortable knowing that my life savings will be fully exposed to a giant bet on the stock market in a traditional portfolio, but that's not nearly as uh, funny or great as the actual chart that he puts up, which shows the average drawdown per decade of CTAs and compares that to the stock market. So it's it's a horrific looking chart for the stock people, of course, or I would not have <laughs> tweeted it. Uh, of course. <laughs> and then on the far right, it shows uh, the 2010s and uh, the decade that we're in. And uh, there's just the smallest of drawdowns for the, you know, for the stocks and the, CTA, sure. the CTAs. And then 
as compared to historically, you know, 50, 60, 70%. And the little sign says, you are here. I just thought that was so funny. Uh, you know, you go to the amusement park, you are here. Here are your yeah. directions on where you want to go, find the restroom or whatever. So you're looking at these ridiculously large drawdowns that has, you know, in every decade since 1900 yeah. or 1910, and you are here. It's at a little drawdown you can barely see. <laughs> so I thought, um, but this is, I think, uh, a little bit of contrast to Crisis Alpha. Yeah. So look, it's not a big thing. There's nothing we can, it's, it's obvious. Uh, if you're trading currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, not just stocks only, long and short, not just long only, with a systematic approach, it's halfway decent. It's sort of longish, medium termish, not too in and out all the time. Um, of course, you know, it's, I mean, how can you have the type of drawdowns and the risk that uh, long only, even though the returns from the stock market are great, it's just that what sort of risk are you taking on to get those returns? And so, whoa, that sounds like sharp. Well, not really, even though I don't want to pay attention to vol or sharp all the time, especially with my winning trades. Um, I definitely am interested in capital preservation and um, and in no circumstances would I accept an eight-ish percent return on average with, you know, really an unlimited downside. I mean, uh, stocks won't go to zero probably, but if you're down 70 or 80 or even 50%, you're thinking, gosh, I mean, you know, so they don't go to zero. That's really not helping me feel feel too good right now. No, and I guess the last uh, few weeks have seen some of the biggest names in in the equity world take some pretty serious beating. Um, even though the indices may not have, you know, fully expressed that, we know that some of the really large stocks, and we all know the names and the fangs and whatever they're called, have taken serious amount of pain. Um, and since they are big, a lot of investors uh, are holding them. He also shows another chart with the f worst uh, drawdowns of the S&P uh, since the inception of managed futures. Uh, this was something we've talked about, how we kind of prefer this idea, how if how is a diversified, systematic, trend-following portfolio done you know, over during a period of poor performance for equities. Um, and we, we prefer this to crisis alpha. How, how did we do in October or January or February or in a certain particular week versus um, how do we handle, you know, the extent of the whole bear market or the worst drawdowns. And so that chart looks really nice as well. Uh, and he ends with a nice quote, uh, 35 years of equity-like returns and no correlation wins my allocation. So this is what we mm. do. Uh, this is what we're selling. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, certainly to me, um, what happens in any one single market or what clients are saying uh, it's the <clears throat> the ultimate advantage here is just risk control safety with still a chance um, to make a reasonable return yeah absolutely absolutely anything else you want to share from your top uh, tweets this week Jerry that probably wraps up uh, all the all the good ones that I saw this week. Cool. Well, we've got some questions, which is great. And by the way, to uh, all of our uh, listeners, we, we do like taking your questions. So 
keep them keep them coming. Uh, we certainly enjoy this. Um, first question today is from uh, Brian, who have asked questions uh, before, and uh, he makes a bit of a comment first, and then he basically boils down to the question uh, to the following. In a general sense, how do each of you onboard a new client with zero experience with a trend-following fund? As your career has progressed, how has your onboarding process evolved? And I think it's, I think he's referring to sort of um, what quote-unquote persuasive arguments do we do we use in our in our. Um, dialogues with prospects turning them into that allows us to turn them into to clients um do you want to take a stab at this moritz uh at first uh yeah i uh, just need to say that currently i'm not onboarding any clients i've done that in the past <laughs> yeah so um maybe out of practice i don't know but the uh, i mean i focus on when speaking about trend following um and you know the the experience and, and living through those markets for many many years with trend following it is the safest and most robust investment strategy that i've found and i've looked at quite a few now there there may be other firms like world quant that look at 10 million of uh, investment strategies i'm not there but i've um, invested uh, pretty much my life into uh, finding those strategies and testing things and making things work and Every time I come back to trend following as, as yeah, those rules are the guardian angels in volatile markets. So I like them. That's what I do. Keep you in the game. Um, small losses, large winners over and over again. And that you have a strategy that takes you into markets, which as a, say, discretionary trader, you'd be very unlikely to take. Um, think about, you know, the bond markets where we had um, zero 0% interest rates or even negative interest rates. And you'd say, yeah, well, I'm not going to be holding physical bonds at zero or negative rates. But, you know, I recall in the past couple of years being being long bond futures at negative rates and they made me a good amount of money. Um, and those are so counterintuitive trades um, to people, but they happen in a trend-following system if, if you let them develop. So it's very diversifying, very safe, um, time proven, hard to kill, maybe impossible to kill. I don't want to say impossible, but hard to kill. Um, that's what I like about it. So come along for the ride and diversify your portfolio with that great strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jerry, what's, what do you talk about in the onboarding, quote unquote, onboarding process? Well, well exactly what, uh, what we do. Um, currencies, commodities, stocks, bonds, long, short, systematic, long-term, low cost. I like to throw that in, unfortunately. I know that's not all, hasn't always been the case, but now in the mutual fund, liquid alts, 40-act world, that's we're sort of low fixed fee um, risk control. Uh, I was just thinking another thing that popped up in my head was, I think not only do we, in talking about the sharps and not sort of being okay with a low you know, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, 0 0.6 sharp. I think w once I eliminate uh, that as a concern, I believe that that frees me up and says, I think if we went to some of the 
PhDs and quants, more quant um, like people, and said, "Well, uh, solve the problem, but without regard to a high sharp." I don't think they would have a problem with our argument. You know, they'd say, "Oh, well, if you take that off the table, uh, and we're going to sort of be freer with our lo- with our profitable trades and take small losses and tilt in that direction." of fat tails on the positive side, I think we, it, it, the puzzle becomes much easier to solve. And, and what we do is, I think, more reliable. Once again, frequent 12, positive 12-month 12 trailing returns. Uh, and so, solve it, redefining the puzzle at, into something that um, is less um, <clears throat> complex, let's say. I think when some of the famous people, I think Simons has said recently, trend following doesn't work or... I think uh, he must mean um, not if you're not using our metrics of a sharp of one or two or three. Of course, it, it's not going to yield that, but it continues to work and it will work probably for a long time as long as we're long term enough or medium term enough. But um, it's very important to let people know how we define this puzzle and this problem and how we're going to solve it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think on my side, I think the way I talk to people in this uh, quote-unquote onboarding process has certainly changed uh, over the last uh, 30 years. I think when I started in this industry and for a very, very long time, I think I did what everyone else was doing, uh, focusing on kind of the features uh, of, uh, of trend following um and i personally feel that as an industry we've probably made it more complicated um than it needed to be so in recent years i've changed it to maybe um do it more as 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 kind of storytelling and not focusing too much on on the nitty gritty features and really trying to explain what what the benefits are um, and uh, what it can do to uh, a portfolio. Hence the, the the kind of study I mentioned before, when you visualize to people what what it can do, even if you pick four completely random type, you know, entry points, um, you know, the fact that the allocation to, to a trend-following methodology actually doesn't change much whether you start before or after a crisis. I think to, to many people, that's a bit of an eye-opener and uh, it makes it easy for me to make the case that this should be a core allocation in the portfolio. You shouldn't really try and time it. If you want to switch, if you want to have an, some kind of an active uh, approach to your portfolio, you should probably spend more time trying to get the allocation to bonds and equities right because that's the one that really changes over time. So, so I guess I'm trying to become li- a little bit less technical because I think we lose a lot of people uh, when we do. Um, and uh, more focusing on 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 benefits, and of course, you know, willing to explain the details if if people want to, and uh, and I think also acknowledging that trend following has weaknesses. I mean, we we don't deal well with with reversals. We don't deal well, of course, with tre- with non trending environments, and uh, and of course, then you have to try and explain as to what your particular strategy can can do to to combat um you know drawdowns during those periods um you know not as a not as something that we can guarantee but at least we can maybe address the weaknesses uh of what we do um so 
Brian, that's a little bit about the three of us, what we do in, in that process. So I hope that was useful. Uh, next question comes from Mike. Uh, Mike, I actually saw uh, a few weeks ago in Florida. He's based on the west coast of the USA. Um, and he sent over quite an interesting question, um, which I think we, um, we're going to try and, and do. Because the question is uh, kind of if we could only choose one word, each of us, that kind of um, um, describes the the key benefit we uh, would associate with trend following. How would we? Which one would we choose? And um, and could we do it in, in in describe it in in less than a minute? Uh, so um, so that's what we're going to try and do. Uh, it's um, just to let you know, Mike. It's 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 unrehearsed. So. Uh, so we're just gonna um, do our best here, um, and um, and I'm happy to to kick it off. Um, so the word I would focus on, Mike, in this case, uh, uh, the, as a key benefit, is 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 really discipline. I mean, I think with trend following, uh, the discipline that it comes with having something where you follow rules and where you don't let your emotions dictate um, what you're gonna do as a as an investor. I think that is a incredibly important um, uh, benefit uh, to any investment portfolio, even as a source of diversification. What I mean by that is, um, I think to have part of your portfolio managed in this way, let alone which markets we trade, the fact that we can be long, short, and all of those things, but just the fact that you have part of your portfolio that is uh, traded in an unemotional way and with full discipline, I think that adds a tremendous amount of, of, of uh, discipline. So, if I could only choose one word to uh, describe the benefit of, of trend following, Mike, I would uh, I would go with discipline. I'm going to turn it over to you, Moritz. See what word you chose. Yeah, great. Thanks, Niels. Um, you're right. I mean, discipline is a great edge in the in the way we trade. Now, deep philosophical question here, really. Um, um, thinking about that, I think I'd come up with um, capital preservation. I've uh, mentioned that repeatedly, but it is it is a feature that I really love about a trend-following trading system. You throw a lot of darts against the wall, you see what sticks, and then you run with that what sticks. And if it doesn't stick, you get out with a small loss. So that distribution of of trades, you know, it's 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 never going to be a large loss, or at least it should never really be a large loss, unless there's some massive gap in the market. But at, that keeps you in the game. Um, we do it over and over again long run, taking small bets, many different markets, long and short, um, that's the way to go. Great, great word. Jerry, you've got the last pick. So um, which magic word would you choose when it comes to uh, describing uh, trend following? I don't I don't want my 30 seconds to start yet. So uh, I'll no, let you know when it starts, but uh, or minute, whatever he said. Uh, but I do sure. think it's everything we do um, is does revolve around safety and uh, risk control, and uh, at the same time, wading into these treacherous markets with uh, appropriate leverage and approach that uh, still gives us a chance to make a reasonable return. But it's and certainly a key part of that is the diversification piece: the currencies, commodities stocks, bonds, uh, long and short. Shorts are very important uh, to diversify and to reduce our portfolio risk. 
um, it, one of the things that's unique about uh, systematic trend following is that it is a safe way to get all of these markets into the portfolio because buy and hold it's, is not going to work and maybe anything other than the stocks. Is it going to continue in the stocks? Uh, who knows, but it always has, so let's assume that it will, but not the commodities or the currencies. So, um, And then not only do we get them in there in a risk control manner, they uh, can add to performance. So it's not just adding a commodity or real estate um, or cryptos or whatever to your portfolio uh, to smooth out the stock returns are going to be dominated by the stock market. These these other markets, with our approach, is actually going to have a positive contribution over time to performance and, uh, of course, volatility. Oh, I, I, I did uh, listen to another and tweet another uh, video this week of uh, a big CTA in Europe and uh, the way she described uh, our strategy versus um, discretionary macro is lots of positions with little conviction. <laughs> we have very little conviction on these trades, these markets, uh, which is good. We don't, it's, yeah. we're not looking at five positions that our life depends on it. Our reputation depends. And the, the little, con- the, of course, we're going to make money only when those trades do well. And we're going to be very happy and thankful for those trades. But our little, uh, our lack of conviction, I think really is just, uh, oh yeah, I'll throw that trade away. If it goes down uh, X percent in, in my small loss, predetermined small loss gets hit, it's gone. I have no love and conviction and uh, like or investment, emotional investment in this trade. And you know what? If it goes back up, I'll have to get right back in. I welcome, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back in. No problem. So to some degree, this uh, keeps us out of trouble uh, emotionally and uh, strategically. Absolutely. Absolutely. I take it your 30 seconds um, has started by now. Yes, Jerry, sorry. So, uh, and ended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ended. <laughs> okay, cool. Great question, Mike. Thanks so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, since uh, last week, I was um, I was um, sending out a little bit of alert on 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 our in our conversation for questions from investors. Um, George has taken us up on that, and he sent over uh, three questions that are more from an investor point of view, which we highly appreciate, George. So thanks so much. So um, so here they here we go. Trend following basics seem clear to those who those of, who choose to pay attention. As you've mentioned on prior episodes, most of the turtle rules are in the public domain. You've also, and this was actually a, a, a tweet sent to to Jerry. That's why it's referring to the turtles. You've also said follow the rules with a marginal programmer investment. I could likely design my own system. Short of outsourced day to day management, why should I hire an external manager versus develop an in house trend following program? Especially if I was a well capitalized capitalized institution. Great question, George. I'm going to send it over to Jerry first to uh, comment on that. Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure what a well-capitalized institution, what point he's trying to make there. but Well, just if you had enough money to hire a programmer to 
you know, I think programmed the rules and 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 all of that. So it wasn't an issue uh, oh, to do that part. Okay, of it. yeah. Because I think my answer sort of would insinuate that what he was meaning is that uh, it doesn't have to be so good as uh, yours with thirty five years or twenty five years of experience. Because right. I'm highly capitalized, so I'm not going to be as good. I'll lose <laughs> money. Uh, so I think that's the biggest reality is that um, like any business or any service or product, um, it can be sort of defined as a commodity. I know the basics. Why should I want more or something? It, it, and almost deny that there could be anything better. And certainly the three of us have been around a while and we are better now than we've ever been. Uh, we have a little bit more in our toolkit and um, in our trend following toolkit. We're, and so we need to, uh, to compete and to stay uh, near the top where we want to be. So in 35 years, George, you'll have more as well. And uh, the George in 35 years will look back and say, oh yeah, you know, um, why should you hire the George of 35 years later? Well, because I know a little bit more and it can make a difference. And that's the same with every industry, every product or service, you know, it can be somewhat of a commodity or everyone kind of knows how to do something. And yet some people can do it a little bit better and it's worth the cost. So that's, in my opinion, sort of the, it in a nutshell. Um, it may, in a, but the downside is it may take a long time, years and years, for you to be able to say, "Oh, okay, I see now that these things you kept talking about that seemed minor actually uh, do play out in life and in the markets to be worthwhile." Yeah, no, I mean, I think from my point of view, I would say um, I concur what you say, but. I don't think that you can really substitute experience in this industry. And it sounds odd because a lot of people, I'm sure, think that, well, when when you use a rule-based uh, approach, you can just simply hire some clever programmers. They can, you know, essentially um, create a number of different uh, approaches and backtest it, and you'll pick a few of the best ones, and, and off you go. Um, the, the thing is that... Um, I think you really need, yeah, or you, you, sorry, I'll say that again. You really do need real experience to deal with the difficult uh, situations, just like the, 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 the chart that I described earlier in our conversation, where, where you know, we are done, have had, you know, 13 times um, drawdowns of 25% in our fully leveraged program since 1974. I mean, each of those times would have felt uh, pretty miserable and probably you would have questioned whether your systems were working, et cetera, et cetera. And so anyone coming into this industry, uh, as soon as they run into their first really large drawdown, how they react at that time, the changes they may or may not make at that time is going to be crucial in determining the future success of your system. And even though we have not made a lot of changes over the 44 years uh, we've been in business. The changes we have made, uh, we believe, have made a significant uh, improvement. And those changes can only be made from, you know, having experience with what we do and not just data mining uh, the hell out of the uh, the data we can get our hands on. Um, so I, I I truly believe that this is um, something that is underestimated by by many people because uh, there is part of our industry is arguing that this is a commodity and you don't have to pay very much for it. I disagree. And also, I mean, there are obviously ways nowadays where you can find managers that that 
predominantly shares in in the in the upside of the client and i really don't see why that is a bad thing um and whether you pay zero percent management fee one percent you know that's not that shouldn't be a deterrent um if people are mainly compensated by the success that they provide and value they provide uh investors shouldn't be concerned about uh outsourcing it in in my opinion moritz what are your what are your thoughts you said so many good things. Uh, difficult to add to those. Um, sure, that's fine. It, I can give you the next question if yeah. you want. There are three <laughs> no, of them. But, yeah, I mean, just uh, just a little anecdote there. It is. I think it really has to do with experience. Um, when I, you know, look back uh, more than twenty years ago, um, when I, you know, started reading all those books, trading books. Um, I don't think the trend following rules were public back then, so uh, I, I didn't have access to those, but. If you had, you know, hired me to program a trading system for, for an institution so that they can internalize their trading, it would have been a disaster, because um, you, you lack the experience and you come up with trading rules that look great on paper, look great in Excel, but have no meaning and no heartbeat in them uh, in in the real markets. So it is that journey of going through different markets, um, taking on risk, experiencing those markets. And over the years, with your own money, with investors' money, becoming a better trader and um, and just better at that business. And I still think even today, that journey isn't over. I think I'm I'm still on that journey where I'm becoming a better trader. Um, I don't think it should ever stop. You know, when I when I make changes uh, to systems, I mean, many times I, I test things, and you know, they look good uh, historically but then i go like yeah well nah i'm not going to implement that because it's kind of like against my philosophy here or against what i what i really want that trading system to do so i'm just going to throw that away even though um it, it may have you know provided a little bit of better return in the past and i wouldn't have done that uh 20 years ago just no way so experience experience is is super important and to work with managers that have seen those markets um, and have experience designing and trading quant systems, systematic systems for many, many years. That's just nothing that you could just put into a programmer um, out of out of college and say, program that uh, system and, and, and run it. I don't think that's um, that's going uh, going to work. Sure, that, sure. That's such a good point. I mean, uh, yeah. I, a few years ago, started coming up with a list uh, comparing myself to what I was reading about other traders and trend followers, and I started a list of things that I refused to do. So it's not just the experience of creating, it's the experience of learning what to limit yourself. And yes. this particular strategy has tr- significant limitations uh, as to what we're willing to do and how creative we can be. Uh, and creativity over the years, your creative desire gets greater and greater. And yet, um, so, but I think that that's important to resist that creativity because it, in, in the essence of it, it's, it's not going to be something worthwhile if it makes your systems less robust, a fewer sample size of trades in, in the past and more fine tuning your system to historical uh, market patterns 
Yeah, I mean, I think another way of uh, of of of, of um, commenting on this uh, same question, um, George, is that. I truly believe that trend following to a large extent is about finding everything that doesn't work until you find the things that work. And the only way to really do that is with time and experience. And so I think that uh, all the things that we've commented on today is, is um, you know, is, is very, very important. And then it becomes so a lifestyle, right? And it, I'm sure the, the, the point that Jerry just made is is really important, like knowing things that you don't want to do. So, you know, it could very likely have been that with that past month of October, which was a bad month, um, you know, being me back 20 years, maybe I would be using the Sunday to uh, to test the system and, you know, take it out for a spin and make changes. And then, you know, with, without a lot of thought, the next Monday go live on a new ver version of that system. And it's only the experience that allows you to stay the course and accept those months and those periods, just live with them. And remain confident uh, for long periods of time that even though you're in a drawdown, fine, you know, we'll come back. Mm, yeah. Moritz, you get the first uh, go on the next question uh, from George. And the question is, most trend followers say the same things, including the past, may not look like the future. Beyond past performance, which may not look the same in the future, how should one differentiate and select managers? Ask them questions about risk. Um, how do they philosophically design their systems? How frequently do they change them? Um, position sizes. I, you know, I, I like to focus on risk uh, when I, you know, speak to to other uh, traders. Um, how exposed are they in certain markets, certain asset classes, longs and shorts? Those type of things. And have they lived through um, treacherous market environments? How did they handle that? Um, and and what has how have they changed over time sure no fine jerry what's your um take on on this question from george uh, i agree with everything uh where said i think uh before i get into that and add a little bit i would say that uh, my first response would be long-term track records are the best tool to use when selecting managers and then start probing into these deeper questions of philosophically, do you trade all markets the same way? Do you trade longs and shorts the same way? Um, what do you do when there's uh, material losing periods? How do you handle that? Do you trade smaller? Hint, hint. Um, I once talked to a manager who's very successful, probably still today, I think, yeah, he's still pretty successful. And I, his, one of his question, one of his answers was, I make most of my money. I trade a diversified portfolio and I trade most of my, but I make most of my money with stock indexes. So that was a red flag for me, even though I, this guy, I think this firm is, has been successful. So what my point is, uh, ask these deeper questions about how are you going to handle things? How do you handle things philosophically? You know, uh, I don't have a philosophy. I just go with where the numbers go. That would be another red flag for me. I want to build my system and my rules on the back of my hardcore philosophy, what I believe is right and true in trading diversification. And uh, But the nuts and bolts, the sample size. Uh, no one ever asks about how do you count your sample size, but that's really the, I think, the most important 
a yet very uninterested by most people question. Yeah, no, I agree with uh, with all of the above, so to speak. But I would add a couple of things. One, George, is that, uh, as said before, I mean, long-term track records are valuable, even though they may not say something directly about the future. Uh, they say something, or they say a hell of a lot about how uh, managers have reacted to the past. And as, as I said earlier on, that I think is really important, um, you know, making sure that they didn't panic and make substantial changes um, just out of a... Um, you know, result of, of, of based on performance. I think that's uh, uh, one question. The other question is, I think that it's important f- that investors uh, should ask, and I think a manager should be able to explain why they think they are different. I'm not, you know, we obviously don't know exactly what our competitors are doing, but we have all pretty good ideas. And I think it's impo- important that a manager, and are ab- uh, a manager is able to uh, articulate why they uh, believe they're they're different and i think uh, as an investor nowadays i think it's so important to select managers um for a portfolio where you can truly not driven by just numbers but where you can truly um articulate why their individual models are different I mean, you need to understand the difference of the actual model. You know, is it a volatility breakout? Is it a, you know, um, price breakout? Is it time series momentum? And how do they, you know, how do they uh, interact together? Um, because otherwise you have a chance of or risk of, of just ending up with three different managers that end up looking more or less the same. So you need to understand the true difference between them, not just the performance difference that you can see uh, in, in, in the rearview mirror. Um, but there's obviously it's a it's a it's a big question. Uh, I think it's a great question. I think that's something we all face on a regular basis. Um, and so uh, so thanks for that. We've got one more question from George. Uh, another interesting one. Um, several brand names entities are creating trend following indices with low fees to capture the beta from trend following. Why are active managers a better solution? Who wants to um, who wants to go first in this one? I'd say the same answer I gave to to question one. Um, there probably is going to be a few bells and whistles and uh, advantages of investing in you know someone who has been at it a long time and uh, so yeah I think that's and then I don't think sure. that uh, the and honestly, you know, I think that uh, fees are not an issue these days for CTAs to a large degree. So I think that your negotiating skills on getting the finding that right balance between talent and experience and uh, the approach and the, the fee that makes you feel good, I think it's easy to find. It's not uh, we're not all holding out for two and 20 any longer. So whatever benefits you may pick up on a cheaper version of me, um, I think it's going to, cost-wise, it's going to be overwhelmed by uh, 35 years of experience and uh, 40 years that had done, et cetera. Yeah, I agree. I think the other thing is that I mean, nothing beats looking at the net performance, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter whether you charge, um, you know, 2% or 1% or zero. I mean, at the end of the day, we're here to deliver absolute return, uh, net of fees to our clients. Um, You can have a preference for the way fees are charged. And if you think, oh, well, if I only pay 
you know, X basis points uh, per year, I'm happy. But, you know, frankly, a lot of the indices of these benchmarks, and I'm not talking about necessarily individual managers who have, uh, you know, different fee options, but a lot of these, you know, benchmarks that has been created or to capture beta, I don't see any evidence of them outperforming um, the the uh, active managers, so to speak. Um, so why would you invest in a in 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 a product that delivers you less return just because you can you know, even if you can pay a little bit less? I mean, I think investors should strive to get the highest possible net return from from their investments and not focus so much. I mean, as Jerry said. Um, I mean, fees have come down anyway, so it's not like we can charge whatever we feel like. And so um, that shouldn't be a big concern and focus on who's delivered the best net performance to to the client and um, and start, um, you know, picking from that universe instead. That would be my my view. Moritz, any Agree with everything. Um, really okay. First question, I'm very happy that I put the beta in, quote unquote, beta, because uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't consider trend following beta in any way. Now, what those indices have created, I think um, they've created a good and honest, fair benchmark for CTAs and trend following managers because, you know, the index is out there, the rules are known, it's transparent, uh, the index, you know, represents and supposed to follow a, say, quote unquote, simple uh, trend following trading strategy, say 200 day moving average, something like that on a large portfolio of market long and short. So. You know, if uh, if you're a manager out there charging higher fees, then that's a good benchmark for you to beat. And just because the rules are out there, right? I mean, you can find on the internet, I'm sure, you know, rules for how to build a car. It doesn't mean we can all build a BMW. I agree. Um, just so, I mean, anyways. Good. Well, George, thank you ever so much for, uh, for your um part of uh, today's um questions we've got one more uh question left which is from uh francois francois has also emailed us questions before this is a different one i'm pretty sure there's a fairly short answer to this but we definitely want to address um people who who take the time and an effort to uh, to send us their questions so we will uh, bring it on um so um francois says one quick one for this week are there CTAs or hedge funds that are still using point and figure charts? Your thoughts on that approach? Personally, I find it intriguing and I'm still figuring out how to back test it. Cheers and happy Thanksgiving. So uh, thanks for that, Francois. Um, Jerry, Moritz, um, point and figure, obviously a technical analysis approach um are you familiar with anyone out there who uses yeah, that as- i have a little a little star there so um I, many years back i uh, i was down in in virginia uh to meet dorsey wright tom dorsey um not sure if that oh, name yes. rings a bell but uh he's all about uh point and figure and we had a great meeting or two or three hour meeting and talking about lots of things i really enjoyed that and um but I left the meeting. I was like, you know, this point and figure thing, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, it, it, it. It sounded real strange to me. So um, I sent him a note afterward and said, you have that book out. It's called Point and Figure Charting. I just have it here on my desk. I just pulled it out. And it has a note in there uh, from him, you know, to Moritz. Enjoy reading that. And I still, like, I started reading it. And um, I think at some point, don't take that the wrong way, Tom, if you listen to that. But I gave up. And focused on other things. 
So um, I can't really comment on that, but uh, maybe I should need to uh, to re reconsider that and read the book again and try to understand it better. Maybe there are some gems in there. Sure, um, sure, sure. So, but I don't use it. No. Have you come across anyone using it, uh, Jerry? Uh, uh, yes, I've come across people. They can't really explain it. It's the opposite of what turns me on. I think complexity and maybe turn some people on and they enjoy it more. Uh, but the breakouts, the moving average crossover is there. I think it's okay, everyone out there. It's okay if that's more your style. Uh, don't feel guilty that you haven't made following trends more complex and I'm not sure how it works and if anybody can explain it. Uh, I have seen situations over the years where people beat themselves up with uh, certain ideas and strategies that are very difficult for anybody to understand. And um, I too have desired, maybe I can make this more complicated, more more moving parts on uh, signal for my signals, but I think uh, the breakouts are incredibly wonderful. Um, but to the degree I'm, it, that it follows trends, it probably has some value. Sure. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, yeah. No. I don't have any anyone I've come across using that. But uh, you know, with today's technology, who knows? Maybe it can be uh, programmed and and be a valid way of of doing it. Or as uh, I think I responded to you, Francois, in my email. Uh, you know, some people prefer to combine the systematic approach with some kind of overlay that can't be systematized and there's nothing really wrong with it it's not the, what we do and it's not necessarily what we believe in but again there's nothing wrong or right and uh, if that's something you can make uh, work for you then um, you know that's uh, that's that's great um, performance wise CTA is obviously still struggling in the month of November it's been uh, it's been a tough uh, period as we've talked about uh, the last few weeks um, but uh, as of Thursday evening I believe um, we had the BTOP 50 index down 1.18 for the month uh, 6.02 for the year the SOCGEN CTA index down 1.66 for the month down 7.72 for the year SOCGEN trend index down 2.59 for the month down 9.74 uh, for the year the SOCGEN short term traders index down 1.5 for the month and down 1.48 for the year and the bridge alternatives which is a flat fee uh, index down 1.34 for the year, down 10.28. Sorry, down 1.34 for the month, down 10.28 for the year. Any um, any last thoughts? Any other things that caught your attention this week, uh, Martin, Jerry? No, I think we covered it all. Okay. You're not going to end up with your well, happy trade, new of hashtag? Course, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Fair that, that's always Fair true. Enough. It's a truism. <laughs> Jerry, anything that uh, that you want to share? Yeah, nothing strikes me right now. Yeah, let's just do the next trade. Keep trading. Yes, yes, we'll definitely yeah. do that. On uh, on that note, let's uh, we will wrap up this uh, week's conversations, which we hope uh, you've enjoyed as much as we enjoy making them. Uh, for you and um, if you felt you get some value of these uh, conversations please do share them uh, with your own followers so to speak and of course we are always grateful if you would leave us a rating and review on itunes because 
they really do help us spread the word about systematic trading. So from Jerry Morris and me, thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.